0: to you this last week at Thanksgiving. See this morning's offering. Lord, you are able. Uh, Lord, you defeated the grave. You give us life. Uh, Lord, and we just thank you so much for your presence this morning. Move us this morning, Lord. Thank you for this offering. Bless the gifts, but bless also the giver, Lord, just to expand the ministry here at Cross Point. Thank you so much. For everything that you've done for us, Lord, we give you all the glory. In your name, amen. Blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spring, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Lift your voice sing it again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. trust the sweetest thing my holy church
1: Well, hi, good morning. My name is Eric. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Cross Point. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and open it up to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. You'll find it towards the end of the Old Testament after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 37 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible in front of you or Uh, you don't have a Bible at all, we would love to give you one. uh, Just as our gift to you, we love to get God's Word into the hands of people. And uh, so you can pick one back up at the Guest Connection table back there before you leave, and uh, we hope that you'll do that if you need one. So, um, Just a reminder that today is a family service, and so uh, all Sun Chasers, there's no Sun Chasers check in. However, the the family room will be open back there in case you have some kids that are a little spunky this morning and you just feel like, I need to get up and go back there with them, let them run around a little bit. That's fine. You won't offend me, okay? Um, And I believe that the audio at least is back there, Uh, so if you need to go back there, you won't miss out on what's happening up here. Uh, I did get a little message this morning while we were singing that there is a silver Dodge Ram outside with the lights on. We tried to break into it, but to no avail. Uh, just kidding, kidding. But your lights are probably still on. So uh, if you don't care about that, then in about an hour and a half when I'm finished, I'm just kidding, um, you can go, change, go turn those off. All right, enough with the funny stuff. Uh, Ushers, if you guys want to come hand out the uh, booklets, the guest connection cards, they're going to pass these around and uh, you'll fill out one of these uh, and then pass it down your row. And the last person can just um, stick that under your seat when you're done. We'll pick these up at the end of the service. But if you're new with us, uh, there's a gray section here for you to fill out just to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, But the rest of you, because there's no sun chasers this morning, no check-in back there, you'll want to include all of your kids this morning. If you have a hype student up here, um, you don't need to fill that in for them. They can fill that in on their own. Next steps, if you want us to know more about you or you want to know more about us, there's some boxes you can check there. And then, uh, of course, at the bottom, uh, there is a, a, a spot for you to put any prayer requests down that you might have. We would love to pray for you, and we do often. And so that's a joy that we have. Uh, even if it's just something to celebrate that God has done in your life. We love to hear that kind of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> so fill that out and pass those down, and, uh, and then you can put them under the chair. Okay, hype students, all of you have been volunteered for help this morning, whether you know it or not, okay? Um, so underneath your, your chairs are name tags, and in fact, there's one right behind you, Tristan, Um, So, one of you guys want to grab that one and come on up, but everybody that's got a name tag, I need one, and there's an empty chair right here uh, between you two gals right there. You guys, come on up, and uh, and if you have a blue name tag, I need you to come stand over here. If you have a green name tag, I need you to come stand over here, and if you have the one with both green and blue, you can stand in the middle for me. Nice Nice catch, thank you. Your high students, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> okay, so if you're in the back, maybe hold it up or something just so we can see. Okay. So, it can kind of get a little confusing when we're in the prophets. This is the 13th week that we have been in uh, the series called Prophets and Kings, and, uh, and a, a good part of the latter half of the Old Testament is made up of these books of the prophets, the, the uh, major prophets and the minor prophets, and, and it's really not like one's more important than the other. It's just kind of how much space they take up in the Bible and things like that, um, but as we go through this, and we've talked about the kingdoms and, and things like that, it can be kind of confusing to be like, okay, where are we at? Who are the prophets? Who are they going to? And all of these things. And so I just kind of want to give us a quick visual aid this morning to help us get a picture uh, of where we are in the story, and the timeline uh, of things happening here in Ezekiel and, and what's going on. So, um, Israel became a kingdom. Uh, I'm not going to go all the way back, but Moses, they come out of Egypt and, and they enter the promised land and, and they ask God to give them a king. And so he lets them do that. And so they have uh, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, right? And that is, uh, uh, those three kings were kings over the united kingdom. Not like London, England, th- kind of thing like that, but, but the one kingdom of Israel. After Solomon... The kingdom splits into two. The northern kingdom, which remained named Israel, and their, um, their capital city became uh, Samaria. And then the southern kingdom, which became uh, Judah, because that was the main tribe that was in that uh, kingdom. And uh, that was the name of the southern kingdom. And their uh, capital city was Jerusalem. And I believe we have a map up here so you can kind of see what's happening. You want to pay attention to Babylon there. Um, but, so we have two kingdoms, and... Excuse me. Each of them had their own set of kings. Now, all of the northern kings in Israel uh, were bad, except for one guy named Jehu, who started out pretty good. He did uh, a pretty good job of of kicking out all of the the false idols of of Baal and all those things. But he ended up later on worshiping golden calves and things like that. And so he started out pretty good, but then ended up pretty bad. All the other kings in the northern kingdom were bad. Okay? And whether you were a good king or bad king at that time did not depend on um, how well you ruled the kingdom, how well you fought in wars and things like that. It depended on how much your desire was to obey God and to follow his commands and to lead the people to do that and to worship him only and not have false idols. And so uh, <clears throat> bad kings over here, nothing against you guys. Okay? Uh, a few good kings over here, uh, several Uh, Several good uh, a few good kings several bad kings and a few in between kind of like Jehu that would start out one way and then end up worshiping false idols Okay, and so you have this mixture of of kings and none of the kings were really good enough to lead the people in following God's commands And worshiping him alone and so God uh, would send prophets To the kingdoms. He would send prophets to the kings themselves and to the people to speak on God's behalf and to tell them uh, a a series of messages. Okay, there were about four different messages that the prophets would have. Not every single prophet that you read their name up here had all of these four messages when they would come to the people. But overall, the four messages of the prophets were, um, were these things. One was warning, warning to the people that if they didn't stop disobeying God's commands, if they kept choosing to, to rebel against him, if they kept choosing to worship false idols, then, um, then judgment would come, okay? Judgment would come if they, if they didn't stop doing these things. And then the second message would be to repent, Judgment hasn't come yet, so there's still time to turn from your wicked ways and to follow God's commands and to worship him alone. Uh, and so then the third one, though, is when the people didn't do that, they would tell them what the judgment would look like. So judgment's coming, repent, and if you don't, this is what the judgment will be. Okay, as a parent, have you ever, have you ever told your, your child, hey, you need to, you need to stop doing that, you're going to get in trouble Okay, and then they they look at you and they just kind of smile and they keep doing it, and then you tell them what's going to happen if they continue to do that, right? That's kind of what this was. There's this uh, this this call to um, uh, this warning to turn. A chance to do it, and if they didn't, then they would get this picture of what judgment was going to look like. And then, after judgment happens, we have these messages of hope, where God would take uh, the, the remnants, the, the ones who, uh, who were faithful, the ones who, you know, within the, the, the kingdoms themselves, not everyone in the kingdom disobeyed. There were some that did uh, what God commanded, and they worshiped him, and so God would take that that faithful remnant, and he would restore them, and He would continue to be with them and so we have these four messages uh, of uh, uh, from the prophets here now um, and so just, just quickly, uh, we have Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Jonah, who was also a, a, a prophet to is- the kingdom of Israel, and Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, we kind of want to remember that for a second, and then Hosea. And then over here, we have Ezekiel, and, and Nahum, and Joel, and Jeremiah, and Zephaniah, and Habakkuk, and Daniel, and Zechariah, Isaiah, Haggai, Obadiah, and Malachi, the Italian prophet. Okay? Just kidding. It's Malachi. Um, so lots of prophets to Judah because Judah lasted longer. And, and, and the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, they didn't listen to these messages that the prophets came and brought them. And so um, they got their judgment, and the judgment was that the Assyrian Empire... Uh, would come and they would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and they would take them captive um, and, and, and scatter them out in exile all over the Assyrian Empire. This happened in 722 B.C., okay? Uh, and so now, Green, you guys can all sit down. You can go too. Thank you. Um, And and so you'd think that that Judah would uh, see what's happening to their counterpart in the north and that they would listen to the prophets that come to them and give them these warnings and tell them about the judgment and tell them to repent and give them all these opportunities. But they didn't. And about 130 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonian uh, Empire, who became by that time the, the, the reigning empire uh, over the nations there. And, and so the southern kingdom ceased to be. We heard about this last week in the message last week, the great fall of Jerusalem, okay? Now, all of the blue uh, ones, you guys can sit down, except for Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, okay? So if you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you guys can stay up here. <clears throat> Thank you. You guys can take those home with you. Souvenir. Okay, so Babylon, uh, ba- the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem uh, on three separate occasions, the first invasion being in 605 B.C. Now, remember timing-wise, B.C., we're going uh, down in time to zero, and then A.D. we come back and keep going. So 722 B.C., Israel is attacked. 605 B.C., Uh, Some captives were taken back to Babylon. Daniel is in uh, the the mix of those people. And so Daniel, who's Daniel? Oh, did I say Isaiah? Sorry. Isaiah, you need to go down. Daniel, you need to come back up. My bad. I was thinking the books. Okay, so now you have to come over here because Babylon's this way. Okay, so Daniel is is caught in in exile in the first uh, uh, attack and taken back to To Babylon after that invasion. The second invasion happens in 597 BC, and that's when Ezekiel is taken captive along with about 10,000 other people from Judah. So, Ezekiel, you can come over here to Babylon too. And we're going to hear more of Daniel's story in the next series, Uh, and so we'll look forward to that. Some of you probably know a lot of uh, the, the stories Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and uh, Shackrack and Benny and all of those things. Um, so while Ezekiel was prophesying to the, the, the Israelites, the people of Judah in Babylon, okay, they're not in Jerusalem, they're in Babylon, but Ezekiel is prophesying to these people. While he's doing that, Daniel has been there for a few years, and he's already making uh, good with the the Babylonian government, the King Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and so forth. And, and while they're there in uh, Babylon, you have Jeremiah back here in Jerusalem prophesying to the people there about the imminent judgment that's coming on the city. Okay? And we heard about that a few weeks ago. Excuse me. And so that punishment would come in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem for the third and final time. They destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, and they carried off the people to exile uh, into the Babylonian um, empire. So thank you. You guys can have a seat. Let's give the hype students a round of applause. (laughs) So the book of Ezekiel starts out about um, five years into his captivity in, uh, in Babylon and, 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 about, and on his uh, 30th birthday. Chapter 1 tells us it's his 30th birthday where he's preparing to become a priest. Before he was taken into captivity, he was preparing to become a priest uh, in Jerusalem. 30 was the age that your priesthood would begin. And so he was gearing up for that when he was taken captive. And five years later on his 30th birthday, when he was, would have been uh, instituted as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, he's not there. He's in Babylon. And, and then um, God comes to him near the Kabar River and, and says, uh, Ezekiel, I want you to become a prophet to the people in Babylon. I want you to become a prophet to uh, the, the, the people, my people who have been exiled here in Babylon. And so um, instead of beginning his priesthood, Ezekiel re- received this calling to become a prophet. And, and he would give them the same messages that they heard from Jeremiah in Jerusalem. But the problem was that, that they didn't listen to Jeremiah and they weren't going to listen to Ezekiel either. And so Ezekiel spends the first half of his book accusing Judah, the southern kingdom, the Israelites in that nation, uh, of rebelling, and he warns the people of the imminent destruction of Jerusalem as God's judgment on them, followed by their exile to Babylon. Now he tells them about it by putting on several um, kind of one-man plays, and, 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 and he uses um, s- parables, and he speaks in these, in these metaphors that represent The nation and their rebellion against uh, God. There's some kind of weird stuff in there. If you've never read Ezekiel, um, you should. It's 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 like a fiction novel, okay? Um, But these are true things. These things actually happened. And so the people uh, to whom Ezekiel was prophesying, they were already exiles in Babylon. And yet, none of them believed that the rest of Jerusalem would be captured and brought into exile with them. That is until chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, when a messenger comes and tells them, brings them the news that Jerusalem has fallen. The Gospel Project leader guide puts it this way It says, In the year 586 BC, the Babylonians came and ransacked God's chosen people. They destroyed the temple and took captive the Jews, and the land was gone. The temple was gone. The priesthood was gone. The monarchy was gone. Every mark of favor that the Lord had given to his people was removed. Talk about a hopeless situation, right? Now, I want you to think for a minute. When was the last time you felt like all hope was lost? I'm talking like total despair. No ray of light. No no end in sight hopelessness. Maybe for you it's a health issue that you can't get answers about, and and it seems like you'll have to, to learn to adjust and live with it for the rest of your life. Maybe you've lost a loved one, and you don't see how you'll ever be able to function again without that person. Maybe it's family strife that uh, has been dormant until this past Thursday when you were sitting around the table with that person and, and you just thinking to yourself, man, if they would just hear me out and listen, maybe this could work. But you just don't see that happening and you wonder if that relationship can ever truly be restored. Or maybe that reminder came when they actually weren't there. There was an empty chair at the table where they should have been. Either way. Wounds have gone so deep that it's too difficult to uh, even be in the same house, let alone talk to one another and try and work it out. Maybe it's not a blood relative that you have issues with. Maybe it's another member in the family of God and you've been wounded or you've wounded them so much that um, leaving the church and going down the road or somewhere else to find something else is uh, the only conceivable option in your mind to avoid that conflict altogether rather than to work through it. It it could be that you lost all hope of finding a job. You've sent out hundreds of resumes uh, uh, and and you've filled out hundreds of applications and and nothing has come through and you're still wondering uh, how it is that you're going to put food on the table each week. Or maybe the divisiveness in our country over the last few weeks and the events that have taken place have have caused fear and doubt in your life and and, and panic even. And you're wondering how we could ever really even become uh, the United States again. Maybe religion, quote unquote, has failed you and you're still searching for life's purpose but quickly losing hope of ever finding what that is. Maybe you've shared the gospel with a friend or family member who you want desperately to know the freedom that they can find in Christ but they continue to reject him and they continue to reject you and you've conceded that they will never, ever surrender their life to him. Maybe you've been enslaved by an addiction and you're in so deep that there's just no conceivable way out of it. Or perhaps you're sitting here today surrounded by people and yet feeling totally alone because of depression and anxiety. And while you may be sitting there quietly on the outside, on the inside, you're, you're screaming for somebody to do something, anything that will help you begin to heal from the pain that you feel. Today, we are going to go into the valley with Ezekiel, and we're going to see hopeless, lifeless bones scattered in a dry and desolate place, total helplessness beyond restoration. And there in that valley, we are going to see God and the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit to bring hope to hopelessness, Life to lifelessness, and God to become a wellspring of restoration to the most uh, desolate and the driest situation that we can know. Romans 15, 4, Paul reminds us that everything was written uh, in the past, was written to teach us so that through the enc- endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The story of the valley of the vision, uh, or the vision of the valley of dry bones is gonna teach us this morning, and it's going to bring us hope. It's gonna show us hope. Through the plight of Israel and the power of God, we're gonna see that God pursues us with new life. And so I wanna pray before we read God's word together, and then we'll look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Lord, we thank you for who you are God, I know that your word is sufficient. Let it be so this morning in our lives. Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to have hope? Because your promises are true. And we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives because of your word and your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Ezekiel chapter 37. Let's start with verses 1 through 3. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, in this vision, God brings Ezekiel out of Babylon and he puts him down in the middle of a valley full of bones. He didn't put Ezekiel up on the mountaintop to gaze down at this valley, to look at it from afar and see kind of how, how big it is, okay? No, he put him right down in the middle of it so that no matter where he looked, where he stepped, there were bones everywhere in every direction all around him. See, it's one thing for us to uh, fly over the Grand Canyon and get a view of it from the airplane window. And we can kind of get an idea of how vast and and, and just just the magnitude of it from there. But it's a whole different perspective when we are down at the bottom of it looking up at walls all around us, right? And while the Grand Canyon may give us this um, pleasant uh, perspective in that, Ezekiel was standing in a different kind of valley and a different kind of perspective. An overwhelmingly hopeless, helpless, lifeless situation. He was at the lowest point in the land and he was unable to move without stepping on piles and piles of bones. This is something I I don't even know that we can fully grasp the picture of that this morning. He's at eye level with the reality of what he sees. Death all around him. Ezekiel notes in here that the bones were very dry. No moisture left, no hope of life, nothing but bleached, white, brittle bones a step away from becoming dust. Now, bones don't get that way unless they're uh, out in the sunlight for a long, long time. This was a symbolic image of the current state of God's people. Their their behavior since the time God had brought them out of Egypt with Moses can be summed up in two words, rebellion, rebellion, And idolatry. For nearly 800 years, the pattern was the same. God brought them out of Egypt, made them his people, told them to obey his commands and worship him only. They rebelled against his commands. They worshiped false idols. He made them wander in the desert for 40 years, uh, reminded them that he was their God, that he would take care of them and would lead them, reminded them to follow his commands, to worship him only. They rebelled against him. Uh, they, they, uh, They worshiped false idols. Uh, even when he brought them into the promised land, that the faithful remnant of, of that uh, group, he reminded them as they went in that he was their God and that they were to obey him and follow his commands, worship him only. The people settled. They rebelled against him. They worshiped false idols. They asked for kings. He gave them to them, and he reminded the kings that you will be good if you follow my commands and you uh, worship me only, and you lead the people to do the same. The kings rebelled against God, and so did the people. Uh, some kings did uh, followed his commands for a little bit, but overall, there was rebellion and there was idolatry. <clears throat> and uh, the kingdom then would split. And then the two kingdoms would, would do the same thing. Uh, th- there, was, there was so much rebellion and idolatry in those kingdoms that, that even in Jerusalem itself, at, at one point, uh, idols were set up in the temple itself where God was supposed to be worshipped. Rebellion and idolatry. The people uh, were given prophets like we, we set up here and, and to come and give them these messages, to remind them that God is their God, to, to tell them to... Um, to worship him only to obey his commands. They rebelled, they, they worshiped false gods, and they continued in their idolatry. Centuries and generations of neglecting the one who gave them life and sustained them had dried out God's people, both physically and spiritually. They were lifeless. In chapter three, when Ezekiel... Uh, After receiving his calling from God, he goes to the exiled Jews near the Kabar River and he sits down in front of them and he's silent for seven days. Now, seven days of silence is uh, the customary mourning time for someone who has died. So right off the bat, Ezekiel knowing that these people, because God told him, that when he would go to them, that they would not listen to him, they understood that, uh, or he understood that he was going to dead people. He was going to spiritually dead people who wouldn't listen. And so the first thing he did was sat and he mourned for them for seven days. And in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, we're told why they're not going to listen to him. It says that they have hardened hearts. Now, without Christ, our hearts are no different. We are dead in our sin, exiled from God, and without hope. Ephesians, New Testament here. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I was a pretty good kid growing up, middle child, kind of stayed under the radar, no real rebellion to speak of. Uh, I was pretty much a rule follower, just try to stay out of people's way. Um, And so from the outside, you know, I was was just kind of overlooked and and nothing real terrible about me, except that without Christ, my heart was hard and my spirit was, uh, in essence, Dead. I wasn't let off the hook because I obeyed rules. I needed Jesus. It didn't matter how many rules I followed or how good I was. At the core, I was uh, carrying out the desires of my mind and my body, and at the, uh, I was dead in my sin. I was exiled from God without hope as long as I kept trying to do things to suit myself and to live in my own strength to do things my way. I may have seemed like I was okay on the outside, but on the inside, I had a hardened heart like uh, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, rebellious and idolatrous, just like the rest of mankind. A little bit further down in, in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds the Gentiles that they were at one time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You and I are Gentiles; we're non-Jews. Okay, without God, we aren't uh, in a valley looking at dry bones. We are the dry bones, lifeless, hopeless, and desolate. It's not just the kingdom of Israel. God talks about that in verse eleven, and we'll get to that. But as a a people, as a whole, all of mankind, Ephesians says, is this way. So, apart from God, this is the state of all mankind death, exile, lifeless, for both Jew and Gentile alike. And it's here in this valley of dry bones, in the middle of hopelessness and death, that God asks Ezekiel this very peculiar question Son of man, can these bones live? Now, if anyone else had asked Ezekiel that question in the middle of that scene, the obvious answer would be no, right? How can these bones live? There's zero chance of reversing this. They're past the point of no return. There's not an ounce of life left to draw from them but the question didn't come from just anyone. The question came from the author of life, the one who had taken the dust of the earth and formed it into a man and breathed life into him, and he called him Adam. This is the one who took a bone from that man and formed a woman and called her Eve and gave him, her to Adam as his helper and companion. This is the one who asks Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? So the obvious answer is no longer no. Ezekiel knows that if there's anything that can be done here, if there's any hope at all, anyone to act, it has to be God. And knowing the power of God but still unsure of what was going to happen, Ezekiel answers, O Lord God, you know. So what God tells Ezekiel to do next would be uh, ridiculous as well if it came from anyone else. He tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones. Now the main purpose of a prophet was to bring the word of God to uh, the people. And by telling Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, God is going to show us that his word is powerful enough <coughs> Excuse me, to bring life out of death. And so let's pick up at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. And I'll put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Preach preach to the dead. That's essentially what God is calling Ezekiel to do here. Now, you can imagine how strange that may have sounded initially to Ezekiel. After all, God doesn't send prophets to dead people. He sent them to living people to warn them of imminent death and destruction if they didn't repent and turn from their wicked ways. A message of warning is what Ezekiel gave to the people in exile all the way up until Jerusalem fell. But there's no warning left to give to these bones. Death and destruction had already come. Notice, though, what the message was that God tells Ezekiel to deliver. It's not a message of warning, it's a message of hope. A message describing not what the bones are to do, other than to hear the word of the Lord, but a message describing what God will do. And what God will do is put these pieces back together wrap them in flesh, breathe into them, and make them live. He's going to answer the question that he just asked Ezekiel with a resounding yes. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put breath in you, and you shall live. It's an echo of the promise that God gave to the people through Ezekiel in uh, chapter 36. Verses 24 through 29 of, of chapter 36, he says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. See, God is gonna restore everything that was destroyed and he's gonna do it for one very important reason. At the end of verse uh, 6, In chapter 37, he says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This phrase occurs 62 times in the book of Ezekiel. You see, God's going to restore the people of Israel, not for Israel's sake, but for the sake of his Holy name, So that all of Israel and all of the surrounding nations would know that he is the one true God. To a nation that's profaned his name, rebelled against his commands, and given away their worship to uh, numerous false idols, God will show himself faithful. They will no longer ignore his word, but they will hear it and they will live and they will worship him because of it. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. So that's what Ezekiel does. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I prophes- and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Kids, I need your help. What do you get when you put bones together? Anybody? Yell it out. A skeleton, right? Everybody feel your arm for a second. Can you feel your bones? What's this? Okay, don't be scared. Parents, don't, don't email me this week if your kids have nightmares. Um, it's a skeleton, right? It's fake. They're, these aren't real bones. But um, does this work? W- w- if we all had bones and just bones by ourselves, would we be alive? Right? What else do we need? Just shout it out muscles, right? Skin. We need lots of things to cover this up. Okay? Let's read verse 8. And I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So if we put skin on this guy and we put muscles on him and we put all the organs where they need to be, would he would he be alive? Why not? What are we missing? He still needs skin. He needs a heart, right? There's something else that's missing. I heard it over here. I heard it over here. Let's read verse 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Do me a favor. Everybody stand up for a second. Take a deep breath in. Okay, you can let it out if you haven't already. Okay, do it one more time. Deep breath in. (sighs) Exhale. Are you alive? Poke your neighbor just make sure. Okay, you can have a seat. A vast army standing to their feet, right? What was it that made these bones come alive? It was the breath. That word is used seven times just right here in verses 4 through 10. The Hebrew word uh, that's translated breath here is also translated as wind or spirit. Genesis 2 says that God formed Adam out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and he breathed. Uh, the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. In Job 33, 4, Job said, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104 tells us all of how God's, uh, of how all of God's creation looks to him for sustenance. In verses 29 and 30, it says this. The author says, uh, that psalm says this, when you take away their breath, they die and they return to To the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. The spirit of God is the life giving force, and the literal breaths that we take in and out are to serve as a reminder that it's the supernatural power of God that gives us life. But the Spirit doesn't just give us physical life. The Spirit gives us spiritual life. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Now, that sounds an awful lot like God's promise to uh, Israel and Judah in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Now remember Ephesians chapter 2 and how Paul talked about how uh, hopeless we were without Christ, dead in our transgressions and our sins and children of God's wrath. Well, praise God, there's more to that passage. Verse 4, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Through the power of God's spirit, when we hear the word of God and respond in faith to the good news of the gospel, we are made alive together with Christ. Amen? Ezekiel said to the bones, hear the word of the Lord, and things started to happen. Bones started coming together with bones. When we are faced with our hopeless state of death and, and, and sin, and, and we hear that God sent his one and only son to die on our behalf, to pay our penalty on the cross, things start to happen in our hearts. We begin to see hope. And when we hear that not only did he die on the cross on our behalf, but three days later he rose again, hope gets a, a, a much bigger picture for us to to look at. We begin to see that life is possible out of death and because God has made it possible. And, And as we hear the message of the gospel, God's word comes and he washes over us and it softens our hearts. And as he puts his spirit in us, then he gives us new life as we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. A chapter earlier in John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he, passed, he has passed from death to life, The Spirit gives life to our flesh by the air that we breathe. But there will come a day when each one of us will take in our last breath and we'll let out our last breath. And our physical bodies will pass away. But through faith in Christ, the Spirit uh, breathes into us eternal life so that when our time here on earth ends, our time in the literal presence of God never ends. It goes on forever. So why does God bring life out of death? It's because his love and his power are displayed in restoring his people. Let's finish up here with verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. declares the Lord. When Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians and the Israelites, the people of Judah were carried off into exile. They had lost all hope. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 10 says, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Does that question sound familiar? Son of man, can these bones Live When the people went into exile, they thought that God, the God who had, had pulled them out of Egypt, had made them his own people and, and uh, chosen them, had now abandoned them. But the reality that he ha- was that he hadn't abandoned him. He was going after them. He was pursuing them with life. In the days of Moses, God promised the people that if they rebelled against him and chose to worship other gods, that he would drive them out of this land and scatter them among the nations. He kept his promise when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians. But here in Ezekiel chapter 36, God promised to gather his people once again from all the nations and bring them back into the land that he had given them once before. Ezekiel 36, 36. Says, the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Ezekiel 37 12. He uses the imagery of opening up their graves and lifting the people out of them to talk about gathering them from their places of exile and bringing them back to their own land but this imagery also hints at something else that is yet to come and that is the death and resurrection of jesus christ now the sabbath the day of rest uh, that came the day after jesus died and was buried and that particular sabbath Uh, happened to be the Sabbath after Passover. Passover was the meal where the Israelites would would celebrate and and remember uh, when God had pulled them out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery. And the Passover was also the time where the people would look toward the future coming Messiah to come back and and gather them and restore them uh, to their land and as a nation. And, And on the Sabbath after the Passover, this particular one, The people would go to the temple and they would hear a passage of Scripture read aloud. Do you know what passage they they read? Ezekiel chapter 37 and the valley of dry bones. The Messiah, who they were looking for, had just been crucified on the cross. And the next day, while his body lay in the tomb, the Jews gathered to hear the word of the Lord in the temple. I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And you know what happened the next day? The tomb was empty. In Ezekiel 36 and in here in chapter 37, God finishes his promises both times by saying, I am the Lord I have spoken and I will do it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No doubt an echo of the way that the people felt as they were going into exile. But Jesus uh, was quoting Psalm 22, which was a Psalm of David that predated any of the exiles and kingdom splits and all of that. And this Psalm was a, was a, a, a prophetic uh, vision of Jesus' death on the cross. I want you to hear what the the end of that psalm says. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All of the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. Worship team, if you guys want to come back up and we'll get ready to close here. When was the last time that you felt like all hope was lost? Think back to that situation. Maybe you're still in that situation. You don't have to think very far. Okay? Now, one more time, do me a favor take a deep breath in and let it out. You are live. Right now, you are alive, and the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is sustaining you. Relational strife, health issues, job loss, death, addiction, loss of purpose, depression, anxiety, persecution, all of these things can be devastating in our lives. They're heavy, burdensome, overwhelming. They choke the life out of us, and they cause us to despair. But listen to me. God has done it. He has brought dry bones to life. He has risen his son from the grave. He has removed our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh. He has put his spirit in us and he has given us new life in Christ. Our takeaway from this passage today is not to say, what are the areas in my life that are dry bones? But to say instead, look at what God has done to these dry bones. Because In reality, all of our dry bones are the same, dead in our transgressions and sins against God. But God, being rich in love and mercy, gave his son to die for us and rose him from the grave so that through our faith in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, God has transformed our hearts and called us to live. He has overcome the most hopeless situation of all so that we will know that he is the Lord. If you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, God is pursuing you. I want you to know that. He's pursuing you with his love, and he's calling you to live and know that he alone has the power to save. None of us need to candy coat the situations that we're in. I'm not asking that this morning. It's okay to call it what it is and express your feelings about uh, what you're going through, whether they're despair or doubt or pain or loss or whatever. Read the Psalms. You're not alone in that. But listen to me, don't miss the power of a God who loves you and pursues you with life. So go and get a second opinion and try new treatments to combat your health problems and hope in God with the strength that you have left because he has done it. Mourn the loss of your loved one and know that it's okay to grieve. Sometimes years down the road when sights and smells and sounds remind you of that person, and, and, and anniversaries, but, but hope in the God who raises the dead and gives eternal life to all who believe in his son because he has done it. Seek reconciliation with that family member or church member and hope in God while you work to overcome the conflict because he has done it. Keep filling out job applications. Keep uh, sending in your resumes and hope in God to give you your daily bread because he has done it. Go be active in your local, state, and national government and seek to do good to others and hope in God to bring unity back to places where brokenness and division are because he has done it. Keep searching for life's purpose and meaning and move past an outward religion and an inward relationship with the true and living God and hope in his promise, listen to me, that whoever asks will receive Whoever seeks will find and to whoever knocks, the door will be opened because he has done it. Keep sharing the gospel and loving that person who continues to reject you and God and pray for God to remove their heart of stone and to give them a heart of flesh and hope in him to put his spirit into that person and to give them eternal life because he has done it. Bring your addiction into the light and get help to begin taking steps to put it to death and hope in God for recovery because you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you because he has done it. And for those of you who are in here, isolated and alone, longing to cry out for help, but sitting there quietly, listen Hear God's cry to you this morning. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned or forsaken. God has not forgotten you. So lift your eyes and see how he has pursued you with his love and how he longs to give you life and hope. Your pain is not beyond healing. God has the power to restore your joy. Tell someone how you feel and hope in the God who allows sorrows to last only for the night and who brings joy in the morning because he has done it. God pursues us with new life and he brings hope to hopelessness and life to lifelessness so that his love and his power are displayed in restoring his people and so that we will know that he is the Lord. Let's stand together and let's worship the great I am. are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you are uh, ruler over all, that you are a God who pursues us with life. Would you help us this week to be real in the situations that we're in, but to, uh, Father, look to you for our hope to see that you are a God who has uh, brought hope into hopelessness and life into lifelessness and who has overcome and conquered the most helpless situation so that anything we face, we know that we can turn to a God who is faithful and we will praise your name and know that you alone are the Lord for you have done it. We love you, God, and we thank you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Meet somebody new before you leave. Have a good week.